Hi, and welcome to episode 102 of the Studio Insider Art Podcast. In today's episode, Steph and I are talking about teaching what you know as an artist. Steph talks about her experience teaching in-person workshops and delivering teaching for institutions. And I talk about my experience teaching in-person workshops, art retreats, and online courses. We walk through how teaching can be an important income stream for artists seeking to generate a bit more of a regular payday. We also talk through the pros and cons on each method of teaching and which ones we prefer best. As perfect timing would have it, I'm also just so excited to share with you that finally my brand new e-course, Be Like Water, a watercolour e-course to soothe the soul, is just a couple of weeks away from going live. So if you'd like to receive notification of the limited number of early bird enrollment spots that I'll be making available, be sure to pop on over to susannethicatestudio.com forward slash online dash classes and pop yourself on the early bird notification list. Okay, let's get on to my conversation with Steph. I really hope you enjoy the episode. I'm Suze Nethercote and this is the Studio Insider Art Podcast, where I open up about what it's really like to be a professional artist. Whether I'm having chats with my studio bestie Steph, interviewing inspiring creatives or answering listener questions, there's something here for every established and emerging artist. My mission is that my journey will help you feel a bit more at home in your own. Hi, Steph. Hi, Suze. How are you doing? Uh, well, I woke up and had a tired day, you oh, know? Oh, yes. Feeling a bit, oh. But then a pre-game cuppa and chat. I know. Has woken me right up. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> I absolutely love our little routine when we do recording for the podcast. It always involves cups of tea in the kitchen. Yeah, catching up on life. All the bits that like maybe like we don't want to talk about life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but often it's in those conversations we figured out what we did want to talk about live. That, that happened today. It did yeah. happen today. And, you know, I've got to say before we jump into it, though, one of my favorite things about when you come over on recording day is you're one of those people in my life that I don't feel like I have to like tidy up the house. <laughs> There's stuff all over the breakfast table and you don't care. And it's really nice. Yeah, I know, but I, I agree. I have a list of people I don't tidy up for. Yes. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, let's be honest, I don't do a whole lot of tidying up anyway, but <laughs> yeah, it's nice not to feel the pressure, isn't it, or the it, judgment. It really is. Yeah. It really is. But look, so one of the things that we were chatting about this morning that we thought might be really great to unpack a bit here on the podcast was around teaching what we know as creatives and artists because both of us are doing that in different ways and we just thought it would be great to chat it through and the different ways of doing it and how we like what we're doing. Yeah, and why? Because I yeah. think for a lot of artists, teaching can often make up part of their income stream. It's not for everybody and I think you have to be kind of strategic about why you're doing it. Absolutely. So mm. let's start off with you then. So you're teaching at the local uni and also for our local city council. Yeah. So talk us through the teaching you're doing at the moment and, yeah, just explain what it is and how yeah. it is for you. Yeah, okay. So my local university has the most amazing ceramics department. Like it's beautiful. But because of 
I guess, the decline of formal education within the arts in this country, um, it's had a bit of a death by a thousand cuts, right? So, you know, used to this thriving art school historically um, and now doesn't get a lot of usage. So there's a um, there was a project with the city council collaborating with the university to activate that space and those resources for the community, and because of that, there were there was a position advertised to become a technician for that you know for that project. I applied for that role because I wanted to have an income stream in my life that took the pressure off selling my art, so that I could focus on my practice. So I yeah. gave myself 12 months to do that. I didn't get that role. Uh, but oh, it's, okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They offered that role to an ex-student who knows that uh, facility inside and out as well as has the technical experience. But instead, they offered me a role of teaching. Mm-hmm. And I have taught through the uni- university before. I, I taught in design within a different school of the uni mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic. Anyway, this and that is was a, when you were you were teaching. Were you doing like three D printing and laser cutting? Yeah, and yeah. Like it's so amazing all the things that you're. You're such a Jill, Jill of all trades. <laughs> like you can do all this really crazy technical stuff. That's just nuts. I love learning it. It's I exciting for me. I know you do. Yeah, which yeah. is why you're perfect for that role because they're community classes, right? Like, yeah, they and are. And you can bring that enthusiasm to the students that are going to share that passion for learning. That's right. And I don't have a passion for academia, so it's actually a perfect combination. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, uh, so I'm sort of stra- straddling both sides of this project as, as well as the university classes. So to be clear, they're in they're in um, ceramics, so I'm be teaching some community workshops mm-hmm. coming up soon, and um, in hand building and coil building and throwing, all that good stuff. Um, but the city are also using that space to deliver their own workshops in similar things with a more diverse group of people, right, and ages. And I'll also be teaching those. Yes, <laughs> you're going to be really busy. You are I am. Really busy. I yes. feel like. The structure of it relates to something we've talked about previously on the podcast, which is intensive periods of focusing on one thing. Yeah, well, it is actually the perfect fit for you and your personality, isn't it, really? Like you love to deep dive and have intensive periods of figuring stuff out and learning and refining and perfecting your skill. Yeah, so it really is the perfect fit for you, isn't yeah. it? I think I'm going mm. to have periods of like an intense few weeks and then a gap where there's not a lot of work. And that fits me really, really well. Yes. I like that. So it would be extra cash flow, but not something that feels monotonous to me. Yes, and fits. I, we did an episode on this actually, which was unitasking versus multitasking. Mm. And we were kind of talking in that episode about, you know, our neurodiversity and how, you know, how we both like to harness that hyper focus. So it fits really well with that as well, doesn't it? Yes. It gives you that, that time of of monotasking mm-hmm. and also gives you the opportunity and really good money in that time because it's well paid, right? Yeah, it is well paid. Yes, it is. Um, you and take I get, the pressure off having to earn through your art. That's right. So the time that is outside of that is mine. It's not, I'm not beholden to make paying my mortgage in that time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just practicing, you know, focusing on my art. I'm excited about that. Look, 
though, let's name it. Let's call a spade a spade. It's a day job, yeah? Mm-hmm. And I feel like there can be a fair bit of like, um, I don't know, a bit of, there can be mixed feelings about day jobs in the creative community. So what, what? Yeah. fill us in on that, Steph? Well, I feel like a lot of artists feel like maybe an imposter if, creativity is not their full-time pursuit because there's that whole saying right which I think haunts a lot of people and it's I believe wholly incorrect if those who do can those who can't teach right how awful is that phrase and damaging Mm -hmm. yes it is Mm. yeah it is and that's um yeah, it's true, isn't it? Like, well, it's not true. The I mean, phrase, no, it's true the, that it's, it's true that it that pervasive. people I think still hold that in the back of their mind, and that there can be, for some people, a sense of shame around choosing to teach as part of their income stream in their creative business, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yes, but I think even if it's not teaching, it's perfectly valid to have another income stream. Like, well, I think in you know, in reality, it's necessary for probably ninety five percent of artists out there because. Yeah. It is not easy for most artists to earn a reliable, you know, full-time income from their art without supplementary income coming in from somewhere. I know that's my experience and I know that's the experience of probably most artists I know and it may not be the experience for the handful of artists that I'm pretty sure can do it, that can earn a full-time living out of it, but that's a handful of people. Mm. So, um, you know, I think we all have to, if we're holding that belief within us, have to exit that belief around, you know, that you're not valid somehow if you're teaching to just question that and, and open up to the possibility of that potentially being something that could be a really beautiful creative part of your business mm. in the overall picture. Mm. Because for you, I mean, one of the reasons I know that you were drawn to applying for these jobs uh, that you're doing is that you got you get access to amazing facilities and kilns and you know all kinds of things that are going to be very helpful to you in your art practice so there are certain perks that come along with it oh yeah there are and aside from accessing these beautiful studios like they're stunning you know these gorgeous mid-century light fields you know soaring ceilings all that stuff natural materials aside from that and you know the fancy kilns and access to equipment I also get access to inspiring people ah yes all of the lecturers and tutors that'll all be inspiring local artists absolutely and it I think I have missed you know since I pulled back from working with you in this studio I really have missed that level of interaction I mean, we get it now, yeah, mm. uh, but my nature is to just retreat and be a hermit. And on some level, that's very fulfilling, but it can be hard for me to push myself out of that when I need it. It can mm. become a bit of a trap for me. Yeah. So I I am really looking forward to connecting with humans again. <laughs> yes. Well, and you, again, this comes back to your personality and like understanding the rhythms of life, right? Because yeah. I'm thinking 
I've known you for enough time now to know that you will have significant periods of time where you are kind of hermit-like. And then generally what comes after that is you'll have a significant period of time where you're very interactive with people and in a pretty intensive way. That's very true, yeah. So it fits perfectly with your natural rhythms of life and how you tend to operate. Yeah. And I think knowing those rhythms and working with them as they occur Mm. is – just such a huge benefit in life like self-knowledge really is everything isn't it yeah isn't it just and I think also having that self-knowledge of that cycle has drawn me to this very Mm. casual role as well yes you know it's rewarding financially and emotionally but I'm not locked into that for the rest of my life you know or even for the next 12 months. I mean, this could be a project that runs for six months and then ends, and I'm okay with that. I just mm-hmm. need to lean into what I want and need right now. And um, and if I can find that in a creative, inspiring environment, bloody brilliant, you know, mm-hmm. like much better than sitting behind a desk doing an office job. Absolutely. And it'll be <laughs> for fun. me. The anyway. people that are that are participating in these projects, they're people that have signed up for it in the community. So they're really enthusiastic to learn as well. And I know from when you've assisted me in live workshops that I used to do before COVID times, that you're incredibly good at it. And you have a really Thanks. lovely, warm rapport with people and, and that they'll have a really great experience. What are you looking forward to bringing to your students in how you teach I think you just nailed it. Like uh, the reason that I think they they put me forward for this job is that welcoming warmth. I feel like lots of people have great skills in their knowledge, but the ability to make someone feel comfortable being a beginner Mm -hmm. because it's a very confronting space. Yes. Well, you're creating safety for people and that's Mm -hmm. an enormously important part of the creative process is feeling safe inside that what can be a very scary process for people. Yes, and I understand that anxiety of you're going somewhere you haven't been before, you're going probably on your own and you don't know people. Like I have all those feelings about going to learn myself. So I think that ability to meet people where they're at is probably one of the greatest skills in teaching Mm -hmm. so I'm really looking forward to that the relate building those relationships but also like I am so excited and passionate right now about this medium that I think it's a perfect time for me to do this I agree because so many people sit in teaching long past the place where they stopped caring Mm -hmm. and I think that can be really detrimental to someone in the learning process. Well, I'm trying to be really tactful about no, this. I, you know I, I totally understand what you're saying. And really the people that you're describing are usually people that teach long-term as a yes. profession. So they're often artists that have become professional teachers within academic environments or schools. And that in itself is like it becomes all about the teaching and not nearly enough about one's own art practice, which, mm-hmm. you know, for me, the whole teaching story, it has to it has to sit around my art making practice in a way that it doesn't supersede it. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, we've talked about me for ages now. I really want to hear about how your teaching 
because you, you teach, but in a completely different model, as we know, you're teaching online. Mm-hmm. And so I want to hear about like the real nuts and bolts of how that has supported your practice, inspired your practice, and like what that means for you and how you see it moving forward in your business. Absolutely. Well, it has teaching has become a really important part of my overall income as an artist. And it's also been something that I've always felt drawn to. It's like with this podcast, like I've always felt like I've had so much to share and say and explore. And, and the podcast has been a beautiful place to do that. But the other place where I do that and I explore and I deep dive is through the e-courses. But I think what's really worked for me is the way that I found to make e-courses that feels really harmonious with my art making. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and you probably remember when the, I was, um, you know, making my first e-courses, which were the painting as a practice e-courses, that that actually came out of recordings that I made before I even knew that I was going to make that course. Yeah. So yeah. I really, uh, my style of teaching and of, of offering up what I have to offer to my students is very much around capturing my process as it's happening in real time. So I'm not recording something for a class when I record it. I'm actually making art and I'm recording the process of making art and then going back and selecting out which items I painted that best represent what I'm trying to teach. Right. And then you add in content around that visual. So you add a narration, you add extra videos, breaking it down, explaining things. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you think though that because you used to do in-person workshops. Yes. Do you think that that was really necessary though for you to be able to teach remotely? Like, do you think that added Um, value and experience? I think it definitely gave me experience. And I think doing live teaching is a really great thing to do, but I actually don't know that it was completely necessary. What it did do that, that was super valuable was give me a really good sense of what it means to be a beginner because I had a lot of them in my studio come in, they were first-time painters and I, I was in real time with them and had to walk them through the process of feeling comfortable, getting in there with the paint, you know, those first experience with the brush and laying down paint on the canvas all of those first-time experiences, doing that in person with someone is super valuable and and that knowledge definitely was really great to bring into doing the online teaching because it's very easy to forget what it means to be as a beginner when you've been at something for a few years. So that was definitely a really great, great thing to have. I think actually though I had been teaching workshops for some time and really – I hadn't, I'd I'd wanted to make e-courses for a long time before I did. And it took me a long time to figure out how to do that. I kept kind of stopping and starting with that. And I had a few projects I kind of begun and then went, nah, that doesn't work. And it was, I think it was because when you create a workshop and you're teaching live, you, you come up with a structure and you deliver that structure over a day or two days or whatever the duration is of the class that you're teaching. Uh, and you know, it's all live. So you're responding in real time to what's going on. And it's, a, it's you know, you've got to create the structure and have a project yes. and have everything ready and be incredibly organized and planned. Yes. yes. And I didn't really, I, I kept trying to do that online and it just didn't feel authentic to me. It felt very manufactured. Yes. Um, and really, I think what 
what worked for me in the end was the pandemic happened and all of my in-person teaching got cancelled. And I have a company that I do all my teaching through that was suddenly left with zero income. That's right. You know, my Paris retreat was cancelled. All of my workshops were cancelled. Other retreats that were happening in Australia, everything was gone. So I was really under pressure to create something. And I had all this footage, right, from when I did my very first painting as a practice challenge which had happened just like a month or two before the pandemic hit. might have even been a month before. And I think in a way having that pressure on me was really good because it really made me think very creatively and radically around what can I do with this? Because the thing about that project and that doing that challenge, which was just a, just something that I honestly did on the fly one February because I was feeling really stale and yeah. burned out. And you probably remember because I actually I remember teaching workshops and feeling quite burned out in what I was teaching and it was kind of killing my love for painting in a way oh. and I needed to do something different to revive my own passion and to find new ways into my painting Mm -hmm. and to deepen my practice and deepen my mark making skills and all kinds of things I just needed to play again really yeah so I did that challenge and I also recorded the whole thing so I had like you know 30 days of footage right 30 projects that I had completed so that within those 30 I was able to go in and choose you know, which projects felt like they were really juicy for learning and that felt like they progressed from one to another, which they kind of did really naturally because I was literally going from one thing to another throughout that month-long practice. Yeah. And I, I wholeheartedly could stand behind the concept of that course because it had actually completely shifted things for me creatively. Yeah. I, I rediscovered my passion. I found new ways into my art. I was making new art that was different to what I'd made before and my customers were very responsive to that. So it yeah. had really worked for me. And so I knew that I could stand behind the process that I'd just done for myself and it was fresh enough in my mind to remember what had happened for me and what had transpired in that time that I just, I just started to document that and create a structure out of that. Yes. Um, and that's how the first chapter of Painting as a Practice came about. And the other thing that I did, which I think was probably the smartest thing I did, was I knew that I had that whole month worth of material there, which actually became the material I used for the whole trilogy of the course. Mm-hmm. So you made three courses out of that month's worth of footage. I broke it down, right, mm-hmm. which was a necessity thing because I knew I'd, I had to teach myself everything for, to do that for the first time. I had to learn how to use iMovie to edit video. I had to learn how to film voiceovers of mm-hmm. myself painting. You know, I did everything for that, yes. which was okay because I was in lockdown and had nothing else to do except care for my kids, which – that was it's a lot, lot but, let's know, be honest. <laughs> but but the point being life wasn't busy, so I had that time to devote to sort of really focusing on that. Um, but I had to release a course pretty quickly because I had a company with no income. Yes. So breaking it down, and, they, and one of those courses took many months to make, which yes. I didn't realise at the outset. But if I had tried to make that entire thing as one big bumper course, it would have been too overwhelming for me. So doing the yes. smaller ones. Was and I want to add, not just overwhelming for you, but too much information for one course. Absolutely. Like there was a lot going on there. And I think it was smart to break it down, not just for you, but as a learner, I think that makes much more sense the way you structured it. 
Just dropping in to let you know that my brand new e-course, Be Like Water, a watercolor e-course to soothe the soul, is just about ready to come into the world. This gentle but comprehensive e-course will guide you through my unique approach to watercolor painting that really embraces the soothing element of water to guide our creative practice. I'll show you how I intuitively flow with the opportunities presented by this gorgeous fluid medium in a series of carefully structured classes that will unpack a range of both abstract and floral paintings. So if you'd like to learn more about this beautiful course and also access one of the limited discounted early bird spots that I'll be making available when it goes live in a couple of weeks, be sure to pop on over to susannethercottestudio.com forward slash online dash classes and jump on the early bird list. You can also find all the links in the show notes. Absolutely. It really Mm. did make a lot of sense and it worked very well for everyone that's taken the course. And, you know, and then I basically over the subsequent sort of 14 to 16 months, you know, I released or had released all three. So I I did have a very intensive year of making all three e-courses that then become one master course. People can buy the bundle of them. But yes, it actually did work very well to break it down into those parts. But the thing I love most about the way that I did that is I found my own style of making classes, right? So I am not the kind of teacher that wants to teach, that just gets a download of what I'm going to teach, you know. I, I actually receive it in bits and parts and pieces and it's not clear to me from the outset Mm -hmm. exactly how everything's going to fit together Mm -hmm. yes but I'm very good at at synthesizing material that I have and finding common threads with what I have and creating a structure out of it after I've seen what I have yes so I kind of work back with I work in a very probably typical ADHD kind of way. It's not linear and structured at all, mm-hmm. but it works for me. And I love yes. that it's authentic and that it and it is actually very in harmony with the way that I experience my creative process. Yes. Yes. So I think the core of what I'm hearing is that this happened quite intuitively and organically. Yeah. And I want to add to this this conversation that Prior to this, you had been overthinking making courses for like a year. (laughs) You saw it, right? I used to have post-its like I'd like have a master course that I'd figured out and it was all these post-its. I took took like really expensive e-courses on how to make e-courses and then I tried to do that structure and I just couldn't do it. Like I couldn't even begin because I was – I didn't like what I was creating. It was not – it was just not authentically me. Mm Mm-hmm. And when some, as you know, we, you and I both know, when something isn't creatively satisfying, I lose interest very quickly. But yeah. <laughs> and making an e-course is a marathon. So you've got to really feel excited about what you're doing and, and believe in it. Yes. And you also need to be able to make it easy for yourself. Yes. And not try and create something that's beyond your skill level because the reality is, the first e-course you you make will not be the best e-course you ever make. It will be the worst because you improve every time you make one. Yeah. 
your skills evolve for sure your skills evolve absolutely so what would you say to someone who perhaps has fear of teaching or doing an e-course because they feel like their perfectionism is getting in the way like they're not going to be good enough it's not going to be professional enough and that's holding them back I think I'd say the same thing to them that I'd say to an artist. You just have to be where you are and start where you're at and begin. And the biggest favor I did myself was filming that month of painting as a practice without knowing what I was going to do with the video. Mm -hmm. I really honestly did not know what that video was going to become when I shot it. But the act of making the video was how I learned how to shoot video for an e-course. Mm-hmm. So that first e-course, there's only aerial filming, yeah. right? And for the subsequent, well, that whole trilogy actually is only that aerial view of me painting. So I had only one view uh, and it was still fine. You could still see everything. But now when I film, so currently um, I'm – I have the new course, which is uh, Be Like Water, the watercolour mm-hmm. e-course, and that's a couple of angles. That's an above and a side. And I also have employed an editor, a video editor that puts it together for me now that does an infinitely better job than I can do on mm-hmm. iMovie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so he can optimise the video and, you know, do all kinds of things that I don't know how to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would not have been able to hand that over to an editor and had confidence in my own process with how I put together an e-course had I not made the first three myself. Yeah. So you can't get ahead of yourself. You have to begin where you are. And you. I, my advice would be start filming without knowing what you're going to turn it into. You yeah, may okay. use it, you may not use it, but if you've got the footage, it may come to you later what you're going to do with that. And that's, I've come to accept that that's actually my teaching style, that it's not about me having an idea in my head of what I'm going to create as an e-course. It's about creating a painting and often within the context of a long period of painting and seeing what happens and then allowing the larger narrative of what I'm trying to teach through that process to emerge later, Mm. which is really different to how any course will tell you. Yeah. I mean, I struggled with that when I was working at the university uh, in 2019, having to put together lesson plans and develop a learning program. I've found that difficult because teaching is so intuitive to me it's not something like it's a skill that I don't have to work hard for in the moment. Yes. But being able to articulate that prior to the event and plan that out in a very structured, process-driven way, I do find quite difficult. Me too. Yeah. So it's not, you know, I I think I'm probably more responsive And I don't think that's a bad thing because I think it means that in the moment you are able to adapt what you're teaching and how you're teaching it according to your audience and their needs or like what happened to you, you find a gem that you wouldn't have known about otherwise (laughs) and then you run with it. Yeah, you find this nugget of gold that just unfolds itself organically and exactly naturally. which is so much more authentic I mean you you and I are both very intuitive people and what I'm describing in the way that I make an e-course is actually not dissimilar to my my intuitive painting process which is what I teach 
So to try and teach painting as a structured linear process <laughs> is actually really false and is not going to serve my community because my community that take e-courses from me come to me because they resonate with that intuitive approach to painting. And, and painting as a practice, as an example, is the perfect encapsulation of the intuitive painting philosophy. If you want to be a feelings-based painter and come to your art as an open book that you experience that doesn't make sense for many parts of the process, then that is what I'm teaching in those courses is an authentic window into that experience because while painting intuitively is a beautiful process, it can also be enormously confronting because it's not linear and doesn't make sense. <laughs> does that make sense? Hell yeah, <laughs> hell yeah, it does. <laughs> so it took me a really long time to figure out that part of the puzzle for me in terms of my teaching style. And because I know that now, I have, a, I have a really deep respect for the process in which I create courses. I mean, it actually takes me around 10 months to create a course, mm. but it's a long process. Okay. It's a long process. So my question then though is, one of the benefits of having an online course as opposed to an in-person event is its longevity. So Absolutely. it might take you 10 months to create but its lifespan is potentially infinite. Exactly. Theoretically. Passive, it becomes a passive income stream, but it takes time to put those in place and to create quality courses that you can mm -hmm. do that with. But yes. now I'm on to my fifth, sixth course. I am starting to see really steady income, a significant income that, that makes right. my overall income as an artist far more far less vulnerable can are you comfortable sharing percentages roughly of what what income teaching brings to your business ballpark uh, I, I actually can't tell you off the top of my head but it's probably somewhere it depends because it shifts and changes right because I have painting seasons I might have an enormous month or two of selling a lot of work and then I won't for three months because yeah. I'm making an e-course do you know what I mean exactly so it's actually not a monthly thing but no, I would no, say no. It's but probably year, I would say um overall it's probably around 40 percent now that's a significant it really is element isn't mm, it and it I'm really not is. saying it's without work because there's a lot of work that goes into the creation of that and there's a lot of work that goes into selling as well of course those e-courses that's not simple however you would have had to have an awful lot of bodies through your studio to meet that income stream absolutely if you were teaching in person yeah and it didn't fit my life well I okay. every time I would run a workshop I can only fit five to six people in here I don't even know if I could do that anymore with you know COVID and density rules and all that kind that's of jazz true. that's right uh and you don't always sell them out and it would be on a weekend, so it would impact my family life. I would have to completely clean the studio and then actually have to clean my house because people were coming into it. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't even like I, – I don't actually do in-person teaching anymore because it makes zero sense to me in terms of how it impacts my family life. Right, yes, and okay, yes. My, and, I, and, I, and because I'm introvert, I would take like a week to recover from it. It was actually yes. a huge output of energy teaching those weekend workshops. 
Yes. So um, different thing in your situation where you have a different space where you're teaching. Right. Can I speak to that for yes. a moment? Because I'd been approached a couple of months ago by a local homeschooling network about personally, like within my own business, delivering teaching, doing teaching. And I had a lot of barriers to that. I don't have a space that is particularly, I, it wouldn't meet, meet occupational health and safety standards. So I would have to make financial and physical investment in that. Um, I don't have the appropriate insurances for teaching, particularly with children. It's a different thing, you know. I don't really feel comfortable with people coming to my home in that way because, again, to access my studio, you would have to, see all the junk in my real life, you know, other things like to access the toilet is within my home and that would impact my family. All of those things. Oh, and buying all the equipment, Mm -hmm. even if it's just this case of, I need lots of wooden boards for people to work on. There's an investment there. Yeah. Yeah. So So, you're echoing everything that I feel about it too, the mm. in-person teaching. Yeah, there are cons. If people want to do that and have a passion for that, then that's great. But it is it is a big thing. It is a big thing, and it just and it's you know, I can serve so many more people. My audience is global. Have a you know a lot of people that take my courses are from the US. A lot, a huge percentage. So why I would not be investing my energy in presenting something that can be sold globally. Mm But there's just mm-hmm. no reason why I would continue to do right. that. But uh, I'm glad yeah. I cut my teeth on it. I'm glad I cut my teeth on the in-person teaching. Well, let's talk about the relationships that come within in-person teaching because, uh, you know, having assisted you in just one of those workshops, those relationships are still intact. Yeah, they're enduring and that is the, you know, you do really develop connections with people when they come to you in person and have that experience mm. with you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, like it's a different connection Absolutely. that you have with people. Yes. So in terms of a community building exercise, it's incredibly powerful. It really is. And I actually think it's a really powerful thing to do within your own physical community to build those relationships. And I also think it's a, it's a really positive thing to do, you know, if you're kind of starting out with teaching and you don't really know how to teach because you will figure it out when you have people in your studio with you and they're asking you questions. Your students will actually show you how to teach because they'll be asking the questions. That's right. So, you know, even just having a camera on in the corner of the room when you're teaching those courses can be incredibly valuable Mm. just for your own resource. So you can make note of what are the questions people are asking? How can that direct what I'm teaching and, you know, to to show people what I'm doing? That's really interesting because it seems to me that potentially somebody who is thinking about teaching within their practice could explore those two avenues, could could explore in-person first to get that direct and immediate feedback about how you know, what questions people are asking, but also are they responding appropriately? Are what is what they're saying clear enough? Yeah, is the teaching working? Because you get immediate feedback, don't you? Like, you do. could you tell me that again? I didn't understand or like, but what about this? All those that, th- that you can't do in an online course. You can't yes. just quickly ask a question, hey? Like yes. you have to preempt what those questions are going to be 
as a teacher, don't you? Yeah. But one thing I love about the concept of online teaching as part of your business model is you don't have to book out events. I hate having to secure bookings. It really stresses me out. I hate it too. I hate it too. So let's talk about that for a little bit. I just, I don't want to do it. It's, I really, I don't, selling is not my favorite part of having a business full stop. Mm-hmm. I don't know any artists that, you know, love the process of selling. It's usually a huge pain point and having to sell a work, like there's nothing worse than when you've put together a workshop and two people attend and you still have to run the thing, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, you're not getting paid very well for your time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The stakes are way lower when it comes to doing online, definitely in that regard. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because you you sell that course, you're still doing the work to sell, but it's not time bound. Well, it's also I can protect myself a little bit, you know? Yeah. It's not as front and center and you know, I'm an introvert. I the reason that I do a podcast and I have online courses but they, that don't have live teaching components is I'm an introvert and I do get awkward around people and it takes a lot of energy for me to engage yes. with people in that way. And then it takes me recovery time afterwards. Yes. So it suits me much better, me and my personality in the way that I'm wired. And also I think I'm able to honour the style of teaching that I've uncovered for myself that feels really authentic Yes, through the slower process of putting together an e-course rather than doing, you know, doing it in person. Yes. When I do it in person, I feel like I have to stick more to that sequential structure of teaching a bit more because you only have a limited amount of time and you kind of have to be very structured and make everything very tangible and people need to leave with something. You can't edit it in post-production, that's the short cut. No, also <laughs> you can't leave people alone in their own creative process for two days after it. Whereas mm. with an e-course, especially the way I do it, which is – um, you know, just on-demand e-courses that I don't like do enrolment periods or mm-hmm. have a set mm-hmm. time for when they take it. They get forever access so they can take their own time and allow the, their own process to unfold. So it just, it just that as a format for teaching is way more suited to how I teach Yes, because okay. I teach very much around creative process and people uncovering mm. their own rather than so much me teaching a step-by-step process I do do that in some classes like I have some simple classes like garden of joy that are a step-by-step process but that class was actually originally designed to go into somebody else's class it was for a life book class so I had to use their teaching structure yes so it's it's good to have that experience but that's not how I organically create classes okay so to speak to that for a little bit that is this third model that we haven't explicitly said so you can teach your own within your own structures, book your own classes, find your own venue, et cetera, et cetera. You could teach online with an e-course. And I guess what I'm doing is the middle ground where I am teaching and getting paid by somebody else. Well, you're teaching for institutions. That's right. Yes. So, But this is another one again, which is when you're a guest teacher in somebody yes. else's presentation. Yes. And another way that you've 
trial, that model, which didn't pan out because of the pandemic, was being employed by a company who runs art tours, yes. essentially. Yes. So you would go and be paid to teach and they would take care of the travel, the booking, the accommodations, yes. et cetera, et cetera. That would have been great if it had worked out. Yeah, it would have been perfect. <laughs> and I was just about to try it and see if that would work because I'd run my own retreat to the south of France and that was great but it was really stressful organising the whole thing. Yeah. So that was actually the first time I taught. So that was when I first came up with the structure of how to teach my process and um, and that in itself was an interesting process because the way I figured it out is I sat our dear mutual friend Laura down one day in the studio when she was doing studio assisting for me and I taught her. I, t- I had to do it to yes. figure it out because I am I'm that kind of a learner. So I essentially kind of did what I'm doing with e-courses when I did that. Yeah. yeah. Right. So to summarize, what do you think are some of the a short list of let's maybe make a list of pros and cons for different styles of teaching. So teaching in person, workshops and teaching online. I'll let you speak to the pros and cons of of teaching online what are some of the cons because first because we haven't talked about that so the cons are learning the tech because Mm -hmm. you need to learn how to film and you need to learn how to use editing programs unless you've got a gazillion dollars to give that to somebody else Mm -hmm. to do but I think it's actually really valuable to learn how to do it yourself Mm -hmm. because um then that's how you learn how other people do it yeah, and how to communicate with those people. So they're definitely barriers. Also time, it takes a lot longer than you think it will take to mm-hmm. edit video and put it all together into a course. Uh, what else is a con? I think they're the, probably the major hey, cons. Do you think maybe it's harder to sell a course if you don't have a larger community? Like the sale of the course. Yeah, I think it potentially could be. But you've got to remember that the thing about an e-course is even though you might not get a lot of people in your first run, it is going to grow over time. The other the other potential con is finding a platform to host your e-course on mm. because that can be really expensive. And so if you're not, you don't already have an income to pay for that. Yes. It pays for itself really well over time then that can be a barrier. But there are ways of hosting e-courses on websites, et cetera, that don't require you to do that, but they require maintenance. But in terms of pros and why I continue to do it, uh, you potentially have passive streams of income for an inordinate amount of time Mm -hmm. and that just grows over time. And the more people that come into your sphere, the more people take those courses and you made it once, right? Yes, yes. And it's there forever. Uh, other pros, having learnt how to film myself and edit video has actually improved my skills overall for social media, for my confidence with the podcast, for all kinds of things. Like I, really, I actually mm-hmm. feel like um, continually evolving those tech skills is actually really important, especially for people probably in our age group because it's very easy to fall behind if you don't keep up with what's happening Mm -hmm. and there's so much opportunity in the digital space that it's great to have those skills. What else is a pro? Well, they're probably the major ones. And also, Mm. well, also with doing it digitally in the way that I've described, you can take your time and really figure out how you best teach 
I feel like there's so much more opportunity to do that online than there is necessarily in an in-person teaching. Yes. So that would be another place. And I think one we've mentioned already, but to just uh, echo that is that you can teach to anybody in the world. You're not limited to who's in your community. And in Australia where our population is quite small and we spread very far apart, Mm -hmm. that that could be a real thing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's amazing. You could teach to somebody on the other side of the world. Mm. Yeah. So what do you think the pros and cons are? Of teaching in person. I think the connection, the human connection, which we're all craving, I think, post-pandemic, the uh, that it's quick. You teach for the set hours and that is it. There's prep before and after, but it's not as intense as the building an, an online course. You get to get immediate feedback. You get to connect with your learner and teach them exactly what they need to know. So as a participant, I think the intensity of learning can be increased um some of the cons would be that you've got to book them you've got to get people into your space (laughs) for a very specific date and time and that things happen in the world like you get sick for example Mm. yeah you have to go into isolation or something that you're time bound and you have to reorganize those things that there's physical investment in equipment Yes. You're pr- providing the gear for people to create. Oh, I don't know if I've covered them all. I'm sure there are plenty I'm more. I'm sure we'll think of on 10 more things. when we get off the podcast. Yeah. But that's probably a pretty good overview. I mean, there's benefits to both of them. And I think there's a place for both of them to at least have the experience, you know, and see you've got to try things out to see if you like them. So mm. that's something to keep in mind too. But overall, would you recommend teaching as part of somebody's artist's business model if it feels true for them yes Mm -hmm. and if you if it's someone that is actually seeking to create a full-time like income from an art business it is a really good way to do that to Mm -hmm. fill in the gaps that can happen sometimes with sporadic sales with art which let's face it is what most artists experience yeah absolutely and the way that I do it enables me to make e-courses and film them in a way that feels really aligned with making my art Yeah. But it won't be for everyone. But you're not going to know if you don't try it, right? Yeah, like anything. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's been a great chat, Steph. Thanks so much. You're welcome. It was good. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. You can always see more of my art over at susannethercote.com. And if you're interested in learning from me or checking out the podcast notes, you can find those over on susannethercotestudio.com. I love hearing your comments and feedback. So feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, then why not snap a screenshot and share it in your Instagram stories? Be sure to tag me at susan.nevercut so I can say hi. And if you've got a great idea for a future podcast episode or know someone who you think I should interview, then pop on over to susannethercutstudio.com forward slash podcast, hit the button in the header image to shoot me an email. Catch you next time.